Hey there, if you would like ad-free and early versions of these episodes, as well as bonus episodes, movie club episodes, and lots more, head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. It's whimsically volatile. Here we are again, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are. We're ready to do a delightful show for you and enjoy it ourselves. That's exactly right. It's all in the service of enjoyment, knowledge, and togetherness. <laughs> how's, how's your week been? Well, <clears throat> it's been a roller coaster ride. Yeah. Um, but so I wonder, Craig, if you can indulge me. I suppose so. <laughs> can you indulge me in an episode of The Realness? I think that could be arranged. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to. Okay. So for the listeners at home, I would like to refrain from joking. Okay. I'd like to refrain from hyperbole. Sure. I'd like to also refrain from frothy emotional appeals. Okay. And um, I want to engage in a measured, calm discussion of what I perceive to be and have been the facts. That sounds perfectly acceptable. However, okay. if we do lapse into some of yes. the shenanigans, <laughs> yeah. we won't punish ourselves. Too no, much. because this is not right. We're not. It, this is not the the twelve. Or what is it? This this is not the stations of the cross. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's tomorrow that we're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, I believe where it's. I think it's some kind of Pentecostal. I think it's Pentecost, something like that, in, mm-hmm. in the in the Christian calendar. But for all intents and purposes, it's just another day of the week right now. Sure, some penne pasta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so if if the listeners recall, we had uh, my OG yoga master Kate O'Donnell on, and she talked about energetic qualities of the mind and body. Yeah, and she mentioned the sattvic quality, and this is a way of describing the body, mind, and spirit as it is naturally mm-hmm. now natural of course is an elusive term because what the hell does that even mean anymore sure right it's like normal right for all, for it's just all things being equal um with no major antagonizing forces with no major traumas with no major trials and tribulations it's just normal mm-hmm. right and one thing that i've struggled to do my whole life is to speak in a measured normal sincere voice and tone mm-hmm. and um, from my trials and tribulations as of late, I realized the the cause of that is a layer of shame, a shame of my voice sounding faggoty or my voice appearing um, not as masculine as it as it should be. Uh-huh. So that is due to a, a, a fear of um, not being accepted, not being loved, not being um, welcomed mm-hmm. into society. Sure. You know, and that's something I think most people can relate to. Yeah. There's Not, some aspect of everyone's personality that they feel like yeah. they're trying to keep a damper on. Exactly. They're trying to locate their chill. Yeah. And um, I'm very happy to report to the listeners at home that I have located my chill. Fantastic. Yeah. It feels great. Mm-hmm. In fact, it feels pretty chill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're in Hollywood, which means that we're narcissistic. Well, it's West Hollywood, so oh, yeah. so super narcissistic. Yeah, but there you go. Right, right. I want, didn't want you to, to downplay it. <laughs> yeah. Again, we're trying to avoid hyperbole and frothy emotional appeals, mm-hmm. um, but in the service of honesty and open and direct lines of communication, I have located my chill. When did you realize that you've located your chill? This morning. <laughs> as good a time as any. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you woke up and you felt what? Chill. Just 
kind of a calm, Even. serene. Yeah. Clean, serene, mm-hmm. and not nasty nor mean. A state we all want to yeah. arrive at in the morning. Yeah. You know, it, this is an elusive quality for many and most people. But one thing that I've found through all of my searching and all of my pain and all of my spectacular successes and failures is that it is our weaknesses that bind us together and not our strengths. Explore that a little. Well, I think that I had a nervous breakdown and I had an identity crisis mm-hmm. in that and pretty recently. Yeah. And it was public, you know, and, but the thing about me, so I'm trying to, you know, I, I, I always try to avoid cliches and maudlin kind of bumper sticker phrases. Sure. Like I'm just trying to find myself or, you know, like a return to me. Right. Um, just because that's not my style. Yeah. Sure. And that's a personal preference. They make you cringe a bit. Those. It's a little bit cringy. I make an effort to reject those uh, phrases and bumper stickers and cliches because I suffer from a disease mm-hmm. that is a pattern of thinking described as terminally unique. Okay. That is? That is the the insistent and stubborn refusal to admit that you're just like everybody else. Sure. Right. And right. that's the truth. Right, because a lot of times people think that their particular woes are so unique to them that either they can't share them right. or there's no solution to them. Right. Or the opposite, that my particular woes are so dazzling oh, right. and giant in scope that I could make $50 million off these. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and it has all been, it's been a lifelong process leading up to this moment. And my, I have a compelling and kind of unavoidable urge to share them mm-hmm. because I realized that one facet of my life's purpose, the thing that I've always wanted to do is talk to people. Right. RuPaul describes herself um, many times as an introvert masquerading as an extrovert. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I'm actually the opposite. Oh, really? I'm an extrovert masquerading as an introvert. So how does that present? Well, um, I love people. Sure. I'm fascinated by people. I love talking to them, seeing what makes them tick, mm-hmm. observing their uh, actions and their patterns and, and noticing what I perceived uh, motivates their desires, mm-hmm. trying to get to the bottom of stuff. Yeah. This, sometimes this involves me just observing them and not reacting or, and sometimes it involves me engaging them for long, long periods of time through discourse mm-hmm. and through like therapeutic discussions, whether that can be, you know, sometimes light, sometimes heavy. Sure. You know, I've gone to uh, certain recovery programs since I was, um, since 2005. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned and gained from my experience in those programs and doing the work that's involved in those programs is levels and layers of spiritual transformation that is absolutely not a joke. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that I felt to be real and worth pursuing. Hmm. I've learned that if you, if I maintain a strict, but not uh, ruthless adherence to spiritual principles, Mm -hmm. anything that happens in my life will just turn out just fine. Okay. That that makes sense. sense? Yeah. 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 And then it, it uh, reorients the priority list to, um, uh, sticking to your values, sticking to my values. And then anything that I do, whether that's the dishes or a large scale piece of artwork or yeah. a world tour for um, lip sync gymnastic wiggling. Yeah. Um, 
it all it all just comes out in the wash and everything turns out just a-okay right because you're going from that place exactly you're moving from a, a you're moving from a, a a moral spiritual and ethical code yeah that was that was constructed and built and nurtured by people who've come before me right. and all in the service of god or if you like good orderly direction yeah and um so i've returned to that format thank god after a extraordinarily violent and painful physical and metaphysical reckoning with all of my patterns of behavior and how long was that time in the wilderness if you will it was a while mm -hmm. it was it was all um after drag race when i started doing um hardcore drugs again i hopped back on the crazy train sure because it's hard to operate from a place of centered integrity when you're it's blowing impossible. your mind up yeah it's impossible yeah. that's and that is the cold hard fact yeah that it is impossible to to behave with integrity honesty and compassion mm -hmm. when you are when i'll say when i i'll just say when i because i really don't don't wish to impose my values on other people because sure. i don't know that that works right um but when i stop shoveling hardcore narcotics into my gaping maw <laughs> i realize that everything levels out to a place that is just indescribably serene we've discussed before about how rupaul asked you do you think have you ever considered that you might be addicted to anxiety do you think that the pursuit of that sort of fucked up state a way for you to avoid and crush that serenity absolutely when i talk about rue my pattern or my um my knee-jerk reaction is to say she's not a guru she's not a psychotherapist but i actually like to give credit where it's due sure because i have learned so much about life from teachers who are either unintentional mentors mm -hmm. or just strangers on the street sure and what i've learned from her and sorry what i've learned from him uh-huh because I'm not talking about RuPaul the Glamazon. Right. I'm talking about RuPaul Andre Charles, the man who's written many books and who talks on the on his great podcast and shares generously lots and lots of wisdom from his hard-earned life experience. Yeah. Um, the gratitude that I have for him is extraordinary mm -hmm. because he was generous enough to see in me, I think, what he has also experienced in his life. I'm an extremist. Sure. I mean, you may be familiar with uh, Brian's work yeah. <laughs> and the tennis tendencies to be a touch extreme. I gentlemen. mean, we talked about, uh, we were on the way here, we, Craig and I were talking about, I'm coming in hot. <laughs> That's right. You better be ready because yeah. I'm coming in hot. Yeah. And when I do things, I go full tilt hog ham. Yeah. And that sometimes works out to my benefit and to the entertainment and inspiration of others. Other times that works very much to my detriment and to the pain and shrapnel taking of my uh, people in the surrounding radius. Right. An example of which would be, say, the drug use or... The drug use. Yeah. The wild, unhinged, neurotic, psychotic, and sociopathic behavior patterns. Um, paranoia. Mm, that's a big one. Delusions of grandeur. That can eat up a lot of time too. It's very time consuming. Yeah. It's extremely time consuming. Um, draining too, just the paranoia, just the oh, neuroses. The neuroses, it, the neurochemistry that is happening there literally gives me a headache. Yeah. 
I feel like if you've ever had a stressful day and sometimes you feel that your brain is trying to burst out of your skull, mm -hmm. that's because the, the synapses and the neurons are firing in so many directions. And of course, I'm not a fucking neuroscientist. Well, it's okay, though. You don't have to be, um, you know, certified to discuss the topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know... You, it's this uh, this very relatable feeling of you're you're running around in circles. It's a you're doing a marathon in your brain. You're going back. You're going forward. You're trying anywhere but here. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's um, you know, I've I've always been a seeker of relief. Uh huh. Sure. And I've I've sought every conceivable angle, whether that's physical, mm -hmm. uh, substance um, induced, metaphysical. Yeah. I, I mean, I've. I'm 35 and I got to tell you, I've covered every fucking base except stillness. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the scariest one, right? It's, well, it's the, it's not for, for me, it's not scary and it's just unfamiliar. Yeah. It's unfamiliar territory. Um, when you are able to, or no, when you're willing to sit quietly and observe the patterns of thinking in your brain, right? You become well acquainted with what uh, RuPaul calls your inner saboteur. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The monkey mind. Yeah, because we're primates. Sure, and um, we we react to power. Mm -hmm. We covet things. We um, all of the seven deadly sins are always those instinctual urges are swirling and undulating. And um, really cramping our inner peace style. Yeah. And so we reach for stuff. And I've reached for everything. I've reached for sex. I've reached for every single drug besides heroin. Thank God. Um, I've done oxys. But um, <laughs> uh, I've reached for every drug. I've reached for every behavior. Yeah. I've sought and chased fear to its absolute logical conclusion. And, you know, in certain programs of recovery, they talk about the last houses on the left are jails, mm -hmm. institutions, and death. Right. Well, I got arrested by about seven cops, <laughs> naked, yeah, handcuffed, screaming into their faces. Again, an extreme. Extreme. I was institutionalized mm -hmm. voluntarily, but nevertheless, I was institutionalized because that was the last thing I... It was, it was the last house on the left because I did what I never thought i would ever do which was scare the ever-loving fuck out of my mother uh -huh. and disappoint my dad oh yeah. of course i am he i enjoy a, a luxury that many many people are not ever able to enjoy which is the unconditional love of my family unit mm -hmm. sure and it's that a is a wonderful thing that you it, have that it's a huge gift that i've never taken for granted mm -hmm. but then the other last house was death yeah. I truly believed and you know we talk about reality talk about not reality we can talk about layers of self and perception until we're blue in the face but I truly truly believed in a psychotic delusional episode that I had died mm -hmm. and that I felt and experienced on every level of being and perception that the world was ending and that death was here and it was just black and well, was, I mean, if you're going to think of a theme park ride that's going to approximate right. death, yeah. that sounds about as close as you can yeah. get to it. But in looking back, though, is like during this period of when I had to, when I went to rehab, I had no internet, I had no phone, I was just in a house with um ten uh, uh, with nine other men, yeah, and we were uh, 
we had to cooperate with one another to mm-hmm. eat meals, to cook and prepare meals, to um, to create boundaries, to discuss our feelings, to discuss what were our strategies for recovery and uh, re-entry into society. Where did we come from? Where are we going? Yada, yada, yada. And it occurred to me then that I was chasing fear like um like fucking Lance Armstrong. Uh-huh. And nothing and I I just looked for the scariest shit ever. I I didn't look fear in the face with courage. I fucking barreled into it like a bull. How so? Give us an example of that. Well, so stage fright. Mm-hmm. So every performer has stage fright. Everybody does. Yeah, sure. Everybody does. So what I would do is I would I would just jam a bunch of meth into my mouth to get me so jacked up that I would just barrel out on stage in in a wildly unhinged ecstatic display yeah. of just ruthless not giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. And it was this energy. Um now I have I'm naturally very high wired. Right. But I I used this coping mechanism that was unsustainable in yeah. order to support my ruthless desire to be loved in public. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, and every performer has that. We all we all are obsessed with show and tell. Sure. We want to tell a story, we want to show our talent. Yeah. So we barrel out on that stage and say, "Here I am. This is what I this is uh what I've got. Take it or leave it. I hope you love it." But, you know, of course. yada yada yada. And then I confronted my fear of homophobia of not being accepted by psychotically reacting to a figment of my imagination mm-hmm. in rehab where I, I threatened some guy with a couple of golf clubs. Cause I thought he was going to come for me as it were. The, what, this is when you thought the guy had called said you a bag. bag. I yeah, thought yeah. I, I said, did anybody say, you know, and it turns out nobody said it, you know, and yeah. this is all the mind, the monkey mind inventing problems because the mind is so at a dis-ease when there are no when there are really no, when there's no cause for alarm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of like self-sabotaging mechanism will just create it. It'll create it. Cause it's so used to having something like that or it's familiar with it. And it also is a way to keep you from enjoying. Right. And that's what Devin talked about the other day was about this familiar pain. Yes. And that is one of the mechanisms of relapse. When we, um, when people who are seeking relief from a drug addiction, alcoholism sex addiction any kind of um compulsive behaviors um we when you lapse back into those behaviors it's it's a it's this mechanism it's like i give up because i don't want to be uncomfortable i want to go back to this ex-lover who beats me because i know what's going to happen i'm gonna i'm gonna destroy myself sure you know it's more appetizing than the unknown right it's the appetite for destruction yeah you know um and i've had a huge appetite for destruction although i realize now that um my personality type is uh is something that um i've always had a ruthless quest for knowledge yeah and i always just i have a morbid sense of humor Mm -hmm. and an interest in all things grotesque (laughs) and um unsettling (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i've had that since i was three sure you know and that's just never going to change um i um and i've had to reckon with this uh with the drag character because since i was very very young i felt like a girl Uh uh-huh and i felt um i felt at uh, i felt a huge disconnection to my physical body Mm -hmm. and i've studied a lot about um the state of being transgendered and um 
you know, I've read, I, I remember when I read Kate Bornstein's book, uh, gender, uh, gender outlaw, I think it was called mm-hmm. something like that. And, um, my idea of drag has evolved to a more serious place mm-hmm. where I look at it as the veneration of the sacred female archetype. Okay. For me, uh, Drag is fierce and fun. Like Alaska used to say, you know, drag yeah. is fierce and fun. It was like a mantra when we didn't want to put on drag. We'd say it in the mirror, <laughs> drag is fierce and fun. Remember. Drag, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember, this is all for a laugh. But for me, it was an ecstatic display of almost religious um worship. Yeah, like the worship of the feminine ideal. Right. Like the goddess. You know? The ultimate, the extra, extra, extra version. Yes, the, sure. The absolute, the 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 diva. Right. And this makes sense because I, when I was in art school, I always used to, I used to um, incorporate elements of cross-dressing mm-hmm. and an imagery of sex changes, sometimes uh, very explicit. I remember I was telling Alaska once I did a, um, and when I was in the studio for interrelated media in Boston, I studied performance art and video work. And I, I did this performance where I dressed up like um, with like a prom dress on mm-hmm. and, and pretty like, pretty bad drag of course it by today's standards it was just <laughs> i mean it was just wretched but um i wore like an 80s kind of prom dress and i gave a slideshow of post-op uh, vaginas mm-hmm. um to the tune of whitney houston's i want to dance with somebody <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a souffle <laughs> it's quite a souffle and um you know i was uh i was struggling very or i was expressing um an inner kind of turmoil very shamelessly and very openly yeah um in in these performances that said and i remember i i read a poem once in my sound performance class in the gist of it was if i were a woman a man would fuck me he would fuck me and then stay okay oof mm-hmm. yeah yeah because you're Yikes. not because so, right because you're not a woman so therefore those things won't happen is the exactly. underpinning of that right because it, it's it's coming from this inherent shame of the body which i now know for me personally is 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 more related to the concept of original sin how so well we're born now i would say now it's it's uh we're in in certain religious traditions the body is born um uh imperfect okay and the life course is uh is a series of tasks and trials in order to achieve spiritual perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, I was re- I was reading about um, Saint John of Climacus, I believe, is has this. Um, he, he did a uh, he wrote about the thirty rungs of the ladder towards spiritual ascension. Uh-huh. And um, as 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 spiritual seekers climb every rung, there are demons who attempt to tear that person down. And it's that struggle towards a spiritual ideal. Mm-hmm. There's the ultimate perfection of moral character. Okay. That is the the life's purpose. It sounds all pretty heavy, right? Well, well, not really. I mean, it makes sense. It's though. a little lofty, but not in a bad way. Right. So it's essentially about the dissonance between the animal body and the yeah. spiritual mind. Right. Hey everyone, it's Craig with this episode's very special interruption, and Brian and I would like to ask you to please take a survey that will help our prospective advertisers get a better sense of who our audience is. We're talking to a variety of people, and we want to make sure we have the right match for our show and our listeners. So the survey is at http colon 
forward slash forward slash survey.libsyn.com slash whimsically volatile. We'll also have it in the episode description for this episode and also on our Twitter. It would be tremendously helpful for us. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. And back to the show. Um, you know, like from a Freudian point of view, um, it's it's coming to terms with the id, coming to terms with this this beastly nature, our animal nature, yeah. the urges. Um, uh, you know, and as the the ego or the self is trying to reckon with that, and also with the conscience, the super ego um, of guilt, sure, and shame, yeah. And um, I find myself in the in the strange position of a void of fear. Mm-hmm. And also a void of shame. But that's a gradual process, right? Getting oh, rid of the shame. It's a lifelong process for some people. I took the fast track <laughs> <laughs> because I'm an overachiever. Yeah. I'm an overachiever. And, and I, you're coming in hot. I'm coming in hot. We're jamming in dry. We're pulling out wet. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always been an overachiever. I got, mm-hmm. I had, I had to do this. I was forced into a very painful and stark reckoning of my past and the wreckage that I've wreaked on other people and on myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've had to like kind of unironically just really face the facts is that I'm a bull in a yeah. China shop, uh-huh. you know, I'm yeah. a bull, I'm a, I'm a bully. <laughs> I bully myself into submission every day uh-huh. because I am, I have a ruthless and sometimes se- very self-righteous pursuit of perfect moral character. Mm-hmm. And Recently, I've I've had to recommend the fact that I've imposed that on people that I've worked with, mm-hmm. that I've had relationships with, but I've never developed the coping skills to clearly, honestly, deliberately, and compassionately voice my needs and desires in terms of these relationships. And that could be a really big problem. That is a huge problem. And it became a perfect... It all. It, it, there is one thing led to another and to another and all of this... It, little additions and the the accumulation of all of these um, scenarios and relationships, it just blew up into my face in the most spectacularly horrifying way. I, um, I wreaked havoc and and there was some, a a great deal of shrapnel. Sure. um, Collateral damage. Yeah. um, Be all because of my, uh, because I never, I never learned the appropriate way to communicate sincerely what I want, what I need, and what I deserve. Because that seems so scary many times. Yeah. Most of the time, really. For some reason, it seems like the scariest thing to do. I think that it was the scariest thing to do do for me because I am by my nature uh, a peacemaker and a people pleaser. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm the middle child. Okay. And I've always, I've always wanted to, I've, I've always wanted everybody to like me. Uh-huh. And that, that inherent, that, uh, that um that drive that drive is a is a that insecure yeah urge um manifests in me wanting to placate other people's desires to always say yes to everything subsume your own yeah interests exactly to say no 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 you're not important as long as everybody's having a good time yeah you don't matter sure and then i found myself it was a uh, i found myself in the eye of this perfect storm where everywhere I looked, I was like, fuck, I don't want to be here. Yeah. That's a, that's I, a drag. I don't want to be here. I don't want this relationship. I don't want that. Per- 
I oh, and I was like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And it was this huge burden yeah. that I was carrying around. And then I, and I realized, oh my God, you can just drop it. Which it doesn't seem like you can at the time. No. I found myself in a similar thing yeah. at, at times. And yeah, you think it feels like everything's too webbed together that there's right. no escaping from it because all of this inattention really yeah. has led to this prison. Yeah. It's you, um, the mind is a prison and I, um, you know, uh, it's just when, if you, I think that I, I looked for, I searched for power and pleasure outside of myself so many times that, and I just got caught up Yeah, and, and I realized that I am the only one in control of my life situation. That's true. And, and it's a life situation is certainly just that it's um, the humility that comes with the humility that we can um, experience by realizing that we're just another bozo on the bus of life. Yeah. That we're actually not even really driving the bus that it's not like um, they have an expression, you know, you know, let go and let God, which to a lot of people who are non-spiritual folk kind of see as, just giving relinquishing control wholesale that's yeah. really not what it is sure it's saying you you put your fo- you put your best foot forward but you have to you have to let go of results yeah and let the chips fall where they may right you have to do you do your part but then the universe ultimately will do what it yeah. will do yeah totally and that's and that's yeah. life right and that's just the, that's how the story goes and that's how the stories always went and for me because i i was able to like kind of more accurately assess my knowledge, talent, and experience as it relates to my profession, to my relationships, and to my general well-being, yeah. I was able to say, oh, fuck, you know, I actually know all there is to know. I need to unclutter and uncover my sort of true nature and desires in order for me to just plain old feel good. Right. Because if you don't feel good, then, then that's when self abuses start. Sure. And that's when also you start getting mad at others yep. and resentful yep. and, you know, and, which sometimes is justified, but some, but a lot of times it's all about you being yep. mad at the fact that you've let yourself be in this position. Exactly. And that was, I, pre, I, I projected all of my bullshit anger onto my coworkers, my colleagues, my relationships, um, uh, I spared my family, thank God, mm-hmm. because I have an unreasonably excellent family. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, but even with that, you know, people, we've all got our stories. Of, we've all got our gory stories yeah. about how we were abused, how we were victimized, how we're taken advantage of. Listen, I've been, I've been raped. You know, I've been, um, uh, uh betrayed. I've been, um, I've abused myself. I've been abused by others. Blah, 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 blah my hiding from that pain is not saw it's it's not like i sort of had to reckon with the fact that i've dealt with it i've processed it yeah now just move the fuck on you're yeah, moving on is a moving very important on, piece to all this yeah moving on it, there's a great expression we don't wish to shut the door on the past or regret it yeah we don't we don't regret the past but we don't wish to shut the door on it which means that we can um we can forgive and we can um, not forget, but we can use that information in order to, to push ahead. Yeah. But we don't just barrel forward, leaving a train of wreckage, which is what I've I've had to do. I've I remember in seventh grade. Um, seventh grade is such a, a, so, a psychosocial developmental stage for a lot of people yeah. in, the, in America, and um, a lot of people that I've talked to, including and I've, I've, I my experience of seventh grade was that 
I didn't learn a damn thing in school, but I learned a lot about people. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. it's all about this uh, socializ- socialization and not really about book smarts, you know. Um, but I remember one time I, I had about, I had like three close friends. Let's say they're like Stacy, Catherine and Barbara. Sure. Hi, Stacy, Catherine, Barbara. Hey guys, how are you? Um, well, I talked to Stacy about Catherine. Uh-huh. I talked, I talked to Catherine about Barbara. Uh-huh. I talked to Barbara about Stacy. Sure. And then, you know, shit talking, yeah, yeah. backstabbing as mm-hmm. it were, you know, um, of course for a seventh grader, it's not very reasonable to expect open and honest lines of communication in terms of emotional intelligence <laughs> or really a proper level of discretion <laughs> right 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 but snitches get stitches craig mm, yes. and i don't like a snitch <laughs> regardless of that um they snitched on to each other about me and it all blew up spectacularly in my face and yeah. that's when i learned that the first time i learned that if you got a problem with somebody you got two choices mm-hmm. forget about it or talk to them about it right and I found myself recently in a situation where I was so, I don't know, I was so unwilling to voice my dissent and my distaste and my my lack of pleasure in the activities that I was embroiled in and yeah. the relationships that I was, I felt stuck in that I wasn't able to say, hey, uh, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. And hey this is actually not worth it for me anymore. And also this is the last one. That's really tough. Hey, I love you. I I wish you all the best, but I just don't like you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Sometimes that's the really hard one because when you look at, when you go down the ledger and, and people, you know, it, it's really kind of humorless and dry to kind of, uh, to take stock or inventory of all your relationships and see like, where was I, how much did I give? Did I get it in return? You know, at the, it all kind of comes out, out in the wash because it's really your perception versus the other per- person's perception. And that's yeah. all that's all subject to so many factors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But if you allow, like I allowed myself to stay in relationships that really just didn't serve me at all. And then, and, and I look back and they were the wrong ones to choose from the jump. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They're never, when I think it's a weird thing that you realize later and more usually later in life that when you're feeling like, I don't know about this, it's a big sign that you yeah. really should pay attention to. Yeah. I had a boyfriend, um, uh, a, a short relationship with this kid who, um, I, I, he was he was much younger than me, um, but he was a really smart guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to tell you, it, it was the most. I look back at this relate this short but very meaningful relationship with this guy, and he, um, I am and so in awe of his grace because I um you know I mean I've always struggled with substances since I was about sixteen. Yeah, and uh, we were we dated, and then um, I remember I relapsed and. Um, I, I, uh, we were supposed to have, we we're supposed to hang out and I, I called him and I, and I, or I texted him and I said, I, you know, I can't, I'm, I, I admitted that I had relapsed. Yeah. And I was, 
I would just fully expected him to, I was almost like I was trying to block him out. I was like, listen, I did this thing. I'm so ashamed. I can't see you. He ran to my house mm-hmm. and was like, I was like, what are you, what are you doing here? But he yeah. ran into the fire right. because he cared about me that much. And I was like, holy shit, I don't deserve this guy. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, later on we, um, uh, he, he was so willing to, to see me through this difficult time that I was like, holy fuck, that is the true nature of love. Yeah. Um, and then it, and then I fucked it up royally after that. Um, you know, and, uh, and he said, and he gave me the grace of saying goodbye. Like, how, how did it th- he, go? He, he, he recognized the fact that I was nuts. Uh-huh. He tried and tried and tried. Yeah. He got guidance from, from peers, from family, like from he, and he was like, he was like, listen, I don't understand what to do right now. I'm going to go f- try to figure it out. And I'll come back to you. Like, it was like one of the most bizarrely mature yeah. uh, styles of communication that I was completely disarmed by. Yeah. I was like, holy fuck, this kid has evolved. You know, and he was only like 25. I mean, I remember and that's how shitty of a boyfriend I am. Um, but it was like, I was like, wow, this kid is legit. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I'm so in awe of that. That was one of the most beautiful experiences that I've, of the relationships that I've ever had. And I've had very few of them. I've had maybe like five boyfriends in my life or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's, uh, that was a crazy thing. And it, it really, it really reinforced the importance of you want to grow up, you got to talk about your fucking shit. Right. And you got to do it in a way that, you got to try your best because mm-hmm. Lord knows I've fucking failed at it so many times. But the thing about me is I don't have, I don't feel embarrassed about anything anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't feel ashamed. So I just share it because I want people to, if they can learn something from it, I want them to. What also helps you too, to talk about it. Yeah. It's very therapeutic. I don't, um, which is not a bad thing by the way. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. I, and like what I remember just from what Devin was talking about, most people aren't listening. Yeah. You know, in mm-hmm. the day to day humdrum, like goings on a life. That's when I learned I was, that's what really cured me of, um, a lot of, uh, public speaking fear. Uh-huh. I remember I was in a meeting once and this, the guy to my right, um, and this was in a, a meeting of a 12 step meeting and the guy to my right was so, I mean, I was, I was afraid to share okay. because it's, it's very, um, it's tough. It's daunting. It's daunting. It's terrifying. It's, um, and it, how early had you been to a lot of meetings before? Or was this sort of new in the process? No, I was, I had gone to meetings for a year already. Oh, okay. You okay. know? And, um, so it still stayed with you even up till then. Oh, yeah. I and and yeah. I know people who go to meetings and they are terrified to share even five years in. Wow. You know, it depends on the format. Sometimes you get, sometimes you got to go up to a podium and speak in front of 300 people. Sure. You know, yeah. Um, other in in meetings are all different. Um, you know, depending on the group, depending on what kind of whatever. And it doesn't even matter about recovery. I'm talking about a business meeting or or a presentation yeah, yeah. at work, right? You know. Um, but this kid to my right, it was sitting. I noticed he was sweating, yeah, like profusely, mm-hmm. and he was he looked like he was about to undergo a full tilt meltdown. Uh-huh. And seeing him afraid like that instantly evaporated any anxiety i had right because i realized oh fuck everybody's the same sure everybody's extremely terrified of saying the wrong thing yeah saying the inappropriate thing and appearing stupid weak 
and and whatever. No, you're right. Once you realize, it's it's easy to forget that. But once you realize that in any situation like that, a social setting, you know, going to an unfamiliar uh, house, a party or something. House party, yeah, yeah, uh, especially a house party because there's this strange confluence of intimacy yep. and strangers. Do you know what I mean? So you know yep. someone, but you don't know all the others, yep. or anything like that. You just realize everyone feels that same way. Everybody's in. We are social creatures who are so flawed. That is our nature. And, um, we all want to be involved. We all want to be liked. We all want to be loved and accepted. And, but in the, the prime, I found that the primary mental dysfunction surrounding anxiety is the inability to realize that everybody feels that way. Sure. Everybody does. It's like even the most, you know, and then the qualities that we identify as, uh, as, uh, shitty and others is often due to, defense mechanisms built up around um containing that anxiety uh-huh. like the guy who won't shut the fuck up right you know or the the asshole just barrels into the room with no respect or couth or courtesy yeah you know um it's all just a big stupid dance and everybody sucks at it <laughs> yeah it's true you know i was recently at a friend's birthday party and for some reason it just was one of those days where i felt like a little bit of social anxiety i knew a lot of the people there but then i didn't know half the people there so mm. But then I discovered she was going through the same thing and it was her party. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody. I mean, I'll say I say nobody cares kind of as a flip. It's kind of flippant and glib as I say that. But what I mean is that it's not a big deal. Like, I well, no one's pointing at you and laughing. No, no, that's that. And I've had that. I mean, I've I've been um, I've experienced so many um, so many shameful moments where I've bombed. Um, where I've said something that is totally off base or yeah. I have, I remember when we used to host the drag show back at jocks. Yeah. Um, I hosted that show and I would, um, I was way too lazy to write monologues. Like I, <laughs> I just never liked, I never enjoyed or practiced the, the, uh, uh, the discipline of sitting down at a computer or with a notebook and writing down jokes and writing yeah. down a story. Um, I just, I loved improving it. And I would, whenever I would get ready for the show, I would get, I would shave in the shower and take these long, like 30 minute showers and try to go over what I was like, kind of general gist of what I wanted. Yeah. And sometimes it bombed spectacularly. Many times it did, but sometimes you catch the rhythm of the crowd and the energy and it goes and you kill it. Yeah. And that is just magical. I think that's true. Every performance, like stand-up comedy yeah. or DJing or whatever. Sure. Sometimes you connect with the room and sometimes you do not. No. But right. of course, I remember seeing those performances and they I thought they were incredible. I thought they were, especially one where you weren't prepared to do anything except someone was like 10 to 15 minutes late mm. and they were dragging their ass so you came out on stage and just like killed with just this stream of consciousness mm. um, bit that laid everyone out well that i just I, that's what i like i you know and that's also the it's the thrill of performing that i've um that i fell in love with was improv is that it's a skill that's groomed over time and time yeah, and yeah, time yeah. and like like with anything if we're so afraid to fail afraid the fear of failure is really the is like um is so is tied so closely with the this kind of like fear of success sure you know um and it's a uh, I don't know. It's, I'm not afraid of anything anymore. And that's a very disorienting feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm just not, I don't have time for it. So you don't feel any kind of anxiety about anything or no. Now that's easy for me to say because 
I've achieved a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like I, and I realized that I, I can be um, impatient and insensitive and, and very much a bully to towards others feelings because I've gone through a lot of shit myself in terms of successes and failures, both personally and professionally that I just, you know, I just don't have a lot of time for it. I, um, I've bombed a million times. Mm-hmm. I've, I've showed up for work completely unprepared and just did it anyways. I've, I've gone out on a limb. I've, I've given too much. I've taken too much. I've done all this crap. Um, and I, it's not that I don't get nervous, like for, for the stage. I just, I don't give a fuck. Well, yeah, you've passed the point of it. Not that it's just a job and I don't mean it like that. No, cause it's not just a job. For no, me. it's not. But no. when you doing something for so often and so intensely, it just becomes what you do. Yeah. I go like I, for, for particularly in drag, like after drag race, um, the hardest thing about that job, because I was a very popular drag race alumna, yeah. you know, and I enjoyed a lot of success from um, a very favor- favorable presentation on the show on two seasons. And what I enjoyed was an almost unconditional love of the crowd, which is not afforded to many performers. It's true. Yeah. And many, many of my colleagues were very jealous of that. And, you know, which is so, which is so like um, relatable, you know, it's like because drag race gives you a gift. Um, but it's not just a gift that you don't, I mean, you have to do the work. Well, yeah, it's, it's a two way street. It's a two, it's always a two way street. And it's like, you know, people love to blame the editing. Um, my personal take on that is that you have, you have total control over what comes out of your mouth. That's right. That is just the the ticket. And for me on drag race, my experience was more about restraint Mm -hmm. than, um, than caution and, and, and self-consciousness. Although, the first time on Drag Race was completely just nerve wracking. The second time was much less so, but I enjoyed um, a favorable edit because I gave I, what I believed to be the appropriate amount of myself. Sure. You know, I shared what was on my mind. I, I tried to do, to be as creative as I could under the pressure, yada, yada, yada. I tried to ch- choose the um, the best outfits and I got whatever but you also weren't trying to put on some kind of facade no and actually when people do that that's when they start blaming the edit because they they when people in any form actually you could say this about life too really uh isn't drag race just a big metaphor for life that is a gentleman well i you say that's a cliche but i think it's totally true no, i'm saying it because it's true it's true though because when people try to produce themselves and put on an air to sort of look a certain way right it never ever never works there's a great uh, Gary Shandling documentary called The Zen Diaries of G- Gary Shandling, mm-hmm. made by Judd Apatow. It's on HBO. A lot of the things we're talking about are yeah. floated through there. And he had this note to himself that was just about, he said, just be the most Gary you can be. Yeah. Because uh, there were times where he couldn't get out of the car after a show because he was so depressed from the failure. Yeah. The bombing was so severe, but you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And then like any stand-up comic that you know, like you were saying before, you just walk on the stage. Just do it. Yeah. You just fucking do it. And I, um, I have a lot of, I mean, people want to talk about bombing. Oh, come talk to me <laughs> because listen, um, I watched, uh, yesterday I watched, um, a little snippet of, uh, the Hey Queen show and Vicky Vox was on it. And, um, I, you know, she's a very real character. She's a very real person. And she kind of tells it like it is in, in, um, you know, she's very, uh, self-deprecating about the quality of her drag, but not about her talent level, which is, Uh you know, real. And for me, drag was a way to kind of exorcise 
um, the, the, the need for perfection and the need for a perfect performance. Yeah. It was the ephemeral nature of performance art in a drag queen, uh, the ephemeral nature of drag in a performance art context without being too pretentious is that life is a joke. Gender is mutable. So let's have some fucking fun. Right. You know, but um, it's better to know your words <laughs> than to not, you yeah, know, right. and it's better to um, have an idea have an improvisational structure yeah. that can give uh, that can give the audience some semblance of a good piece of entertainment. Yeah. Um, and better yet, if you rehearse the whole damn thing, great. Rehearse yeah. it a million times. That's not my style um, because I never got paid that much. Like before Drag Race, you well, know, sure. It was yeah. like, well, it also you know, just wasn't your style. Yeah, it you wasn't know, my you, style. You couldn't when you're not unable, but when you're so not willing to sit down and write something, but you're able to go on stage and just freeform it yeah that's just your style that's my style and that's because i love the tension i my creative brain really kicks into high gear when the tension is taut sure you know when it's like when because the stakes are high when you when you get on stage and you're not prepared (laughs) that's a fucking ballsy move it's a bit of a rush it's a it's a huge rush it's a euphoric and when you hit it Right. It's so euphoric, but I see so many people trying to like, they really have to stick to the script no matter what. Yeah. And that to me is a refusal to adjust and adhere to the energetic flow of the crowd. Right. You know, there's Absolutely. this, there's this like notion of like, do I pander to what they want? Do I just give them what they want? But that's patronizing of course, to your crowd. Um, or do I just, do I ruthlessly cling to what I perceive to be funny at, 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 a no matter what the cost. Yeah. Right. You know, like be the most Gary you can be, be right. the most Brian you can be yeah. at all times. Yeah. I, my style is to like, you know, it depends on who the crowd is. Um, but I, uh, like looking, I don't ever watch my performances right? ever. Like I don't never, you know, I hate that they're all up on YouTube. Um, but did you ever used to? No, never. Really? Never. I remember back in Perestroika, um, uh, some of the girls always were clamoring for me to get a videographer and I never wanted to, although we did uh, usually videotape the anniversary shows because those were the ones with the most production value. And the the two performances that I think are the best I've ever done in drag were the Titanic one. Um, it was an anniversary show where I did a, I built a boat and I did the Russian version of the song, my heart will go on. Right. And then the other one was um, when I was uh, as with the homage to Becca DeBus who had left um, to Singapore uh, to Wrecking Ball uh, by Miley Cyrus and me and um, Madge of Honor was the ghost behind the machine doing um, uh-huh. the little uh, bubble tears and this and it was just so you know and it was like that those moments were so precious because we worked so hard in this uh, you know this lowbrow vaudevillian context and it was just like so such magic yeah um, but most of the time we just like you just wing it in drag right. um, I remember um, I hope she doesn't mind me calling her out but Nicole Pride used to get so like just twisted up if like she went out on stage and her shoe broke or something sure, yeah, yeah. and she would just get in a tizzy and we're all like girl just take it easy it's Jacques yeah. Cabaret it's a lip sync number half the audience is dead drunk nobody cares and it's because for me the, the most important part of drag was if something doesn't go wrong well you're not really doing drag <laughs> do you know what I mean sure yeah yeah it's like this is not we're not at the um, we're not at the royal ballet right you know this is right. not ABT yeah this is not Juilliard we're not yeah. um, trained thespians darling yes darling um, we're just a bunch of pigs in wigs <laughs> and we're shucking and jiving for some hot sweaty cash you know 
And it's, there was that if you were, like we've said before, it's like you were either there or you, you weren't. And it was just, and nobody was videotaping. Mm -hmm. Nobody was really videotaping on their phones back then. It was just like, well, Pablo snuck some great footage. Pablo Milan, shout out to Pablo Milan and James Derek Dwyer. Yes, they always did. Well, and also that's how we got that footage of you doing pussy good, pussy sweet with that religious monologue. Oh yeah. Tomorrow low it, um, that religious rap that I probably listened to 472 times to get it just right. Really? Um, I just thought you heard it once. We're like, I got it. Yeah. Well, well, I got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I love that. And I, you know, um, it, you know, it's just so funny how it's so interesting to see how drag has changed. And, um, you know, I, uh, like I haven't quit drag. Um, it's just, I've sort of reframed my perspective about what is, uh, why it's important to me. Yeah. And, um, and it's, I, it has something to do with just, uh, allowing myself to kind of, allowing myself to kind of think about it in a lofty way without without worrying about sounding pretentious yeah that's good once you rid yourself of that yeah fear of coming across pretentious because who fucking cares who fucking cares you know i i have to say i kind of when when sasha valore came on to um when she was uh she came through the workroom on season nine and she described herself as a straight-up artist i kind of bristled a little bit only because it just seemed like she didn't have much of a sense of humor about her Uh but the real the fact of the matter is she is a legitimate artist sure aesthetic sense is extremely um is refined. Ex- refined. Yeah. And that bitch is a fucking artist. Um, like, same with like Violet Chachki. Sure. These are artists. Yeah. And also one thing that, that I always noted with Violet is the confidence level. Yeah. Because yep. she's seemed to have figured out the thing. It's like, listen, I'm not going to just throw my chances away or my day away. I'm being insecure or anxious. No. She no. walks into the room and she's her. She's that. She owned it. Yeah. She owned it. And you know, at, uh, she'll tell you she's like i remember the, my i learned this from my friend um megan clute uh and she uh she's another thrill seeker and a uh, fear chaser and um she went at 16 she went to um you know she went to live in uh barcelona to mm-hmm. learn spanish then she flew to cambodia didn't know any of it just learned language there she, then she got into hang gliding broke both of her humorous bones in a huge crash wow. once and she's like you know we talk funny bone this humorous bone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> is, you are rotten. That is wretched. Sorry. You know, but she she was shout she, out to Captain Kidney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and darling, you said not to do any of this on this show, darling. You you promised we wouldn't go on a tangent. Oh God damn it! Oh, ladies and tangents. My fault this yeah. time. Yes, dear anyway. ladies and tangents, we will reconvene at once. Um, so back to your friend Megan. No, she was fearless, mm-hmm. but but she said. Uh, you know, she she acknowledged the fact that she's like, you don't think I'm afraid when I do this shit? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm fucking terrified. What's the difference? I do it anyways. I was talking to someone who should have been doing more with their gift than they were. Sure. And it's a very tricky thing because when you're trying to tell someone, like, you're wasting time. Why are you not shining like you should be? Yeah. It's tough because you're walking a line between trying to be encouraging sometimes it's like you're trying to tell them what to do and but you ultimately just want them to sort of flex and do their thing right yeah yeah and they said something like well it's really scary it's really hard for me it's really and i was like do you think what i do is like do you think i just like oh i have no thoughts in the world i have no cares in the world about what i do or like i don't know doing a show or doing a gig or whatever right pick your pick whatever it is or going to for a meeting with some you know very important person that to talk about a project 
it's all scary. That's the sign that it's something that you want to do. Yeah. And that's the sign that there's going to be some kind of growth, development and learning. Yeah. Because if you're not a little, if you don't have a little bit of trepidation about something, or if you're not like, gee, I sure hope, am I doing this right? It's never wrong to think, am I doing this right? That's right. not, that, that's an acceptable, yeah. uh, I guess, flavor of anxiety. Totally. Just thinking like, am, do I have this right? Wait, maybe I should check going over it and all that stuff. That's all right. All yeah, that that's doing your homework. That's exactly. Yeah. But it's the thing about getting through that fear or saying, I feel this way, but it doesn't matter. Feeling socially anxious. Yeah. I feel uptight, but you know what? I'm not going to leave. Right. I'm not just going to run home and then think, oh, I should have stayed there. I'm going to stay and either I'm going to work through it. Maybe it'll dissolve in 10 minutes. Maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. Right. And sometimes like I have like experienced recently with some relationships, I had to say goodbye and I, and I, I was too, you know, in a sense, I was a little bit, I, I, I can think of it as chicken shit, or I can think of it as just unwilling or whatever to give reasons, explanations and justifications. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you just got to clean, you know, make a clean break. Sometimes you sometimes realize you just got to change course. Yeah. And you know, it's a, I think that, you know, giving yourself, it's a, it's a, the balance of giving yourself a, a break, but also not um, allowing yourself to fester in a pool of stagnation. That's true, which can also come about because you're worried about what the other person's right. going to feel. And also, you're sort of making that up in your mind. Totally. So, a lot of that is just fantasy anyway, yeah. because yeah. sometimes those big discussions that you dread having, oh my God, it's going to be so bad. You actually have them and they're not as bad. Oh, no, no, no. The, absolutely not. I mean, I found when I had, um, in a recovery programs, often there's a, there's a process of... Um, of reckoning with uh, some of the really horrific shit you've done yeah. and, and making amends to it. And now making amends is a, a very different from uh, giving an apology, by the way. Okay. So uh, there's the main difference between saying I'm sorry and making an amends is action. Okay. So, um, you an know, example, maybe, well, it's like, for example, I had to, um, I had to, face oops shit sorry i had to face certain people and <laughs> that say that was the couch telling yeah, you please do not your, yeah, get your goddamn your, shoes <laughs> off the fucking couch squeaky wheel gets the grease <laughs> it's like uh, yeah yeah uh, uh. no 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 um <laughs> see i'm such a i'm, I'm such a uh, such a bully I'm bullying the couch um no but i had to face up to the fact that i stole a lot of money from some people mm -hmm. and i had to go and tell them like hey you know sorry won't pay back the bills <laughs> that's true that's and i had true. to say i had to do say hey um, you didn't know this, but I stole all this money from you. Yeah. And if you agree to it on your terms and on your, on a timeline that you find reasonable, I am more than willing to pay all this back plus interest. Okay. So the key aspect of that is you have to factor in the other person's comfort, their, their comfort, their, their needs, their, um, you have Ethos, to meet everything. everything. You got to meet them on their level, on sure. their terms, because it was, it's rectifying a huge violation of trust. Right. And, um, so it's not about what you no, want, not no, what you need. Absolutely yeah. not. And then there's always a caveat that you don't, um, you don't contact that person if you're going to just incur additional damage. Okay. Right. Sure. Sometimes you just got to walk away and don't do any more harm. Right. Right. You know, and that's sometimes that's the one that I have the most trouble with because I'm, I'm uh, of the very self flagellating nature Sure. where it's like, okay, I wasn't able to say what I really felt in this instance. Well, maybe it's not going to be good to, to say it now. So just get the fuck out of there, Nancy, and keep on pressing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's unfortunate. Um, but sometimes people, you know, I always felt that closure is just a fantasy. Uh-huh. 
you know, it's like, oh God, if I only knew what he really felt or if, da, 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 it's like, you know what? Closure is for movies. Sure. Right. And for stories. Sometimes so, things are just over. Sometimes things are over. Sometimes they were way over. Sometimes you let them, you let them steamroll in, in a, a snowball and you just got to hop off the train. Just sometimes, hop off the train. And sometimes it's strange for us to think, oh, wait, I, there's two options here. One of them would just be a non-event. Yeah. Or the other one would be some kind of event, like a an upset or... A, or like a duel. Yeah. Or like a, some kind of ugly adrenaline rush. Right. Yeah. What are you really... What are, what are you really doing this for? Are you doing it for revenge? Yeah. For relief? Or are you doing it for restitution right you know and um are you doing it to st- this is what you know i i ultimately you know it's it's you you can find patterns of behavior and i've been noticing too is my, my people pleasing and my inability to establish clear boundaries from the, the from the step one of a relationship or before that whether it's a business relationship or personal one a friendship a roommate or a lover is that like what the fuck do I really want here? Yeah. Am I just doing this to do it? Am I doing it because it's convenient? Am I doing it because I can't ask for the proper help? Sure. Or am I am I really unclear about what I actually want? And then I'm just accepting something that's going to hurt me, or accept, or or delving back into a familiar pattern where I'm going to cause destruction. And it's like fuck, you know, add drugs to the mix, and then you have no choices. The danger of convenience is a big yep. Big, yeah. big danger. Oh, well, this person's here or this situation's here. I guess for now, I'll do that. A lot of that for now stuff is actually just settling. Yeah. And also, oh, I've known this person forever. It's going to, it's all going to work out. Oh, right. You know, um, just because I've, this person has been in my life for X amount of years doesn't mean the relationship can't end. And also, yeah, right. Exactly. Because y- you see this a lot of people just because they're like, well, but I've known them for so long. That doesn't mean it doesn't that matter. anything. It doesn't yeah. matter. I've had relationships in my life where we've never even had five minutes of open, clear, sincere, honest communication. Yeah. And that's due to a whole, whole host of factors on each side but guess what sometimes they're just not worth salvaging yeah that's and true. that's painful and it's shitty and often they end in a way that's not really fair and it's not really um it's not really mature yeah and it's not really good but it's like ever since i really kind of had that psychotic fucking breakdown and I, i'm just like you know what it's just too sh- life's too short it is it's just too damn short and i you know, we can argue, you know, people, you don't, uh, the thing I always think about is like, you get to decide if you're good. Mm-hmm. You don't get to decide if you're great. I, that's what I believe because mm-hmm. if you're so concerned about being perfect and oh, yeah, being yeah. the best and being people pleasing, you're just going to end up a martyr. Yeah, it's true. And, and ultimately dissatisfied, dissatisfied. And, you know, cause people, for me personally, I've noticed that because I have a, I have a bright, positive energy most of the time. Yeah. And a seemingly endless store of it. Sure. Um, I have to be vigilant and disciplined about turning off the tap. Sure. Right. Because there's also plenty of people who will just take, take, They'll take. Just take. But that's, that's the nature of people. If, you know, if you. Not all people though. That's, no, what, no, that's no. what I mean. But they, right. But that's, but that is, that is in our nature too. When, when somebody gives you a gift, you know, the natural thing is like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. I want that. Sure. Thank you. And then, but you can't get raw about not getting a, getting a give back. Right. Cause that's what ended up happening to me is like, I, I made all this money and I was, um, over tipping and, and 
being too generous because oh, I, yeah, I yeah. like that because I like to be generous, but. And also you had a long period of time where that wasn't a possibility, right? Right. So, I mean, I worked check to check for so yeah. many years. And then when I, you know, I kind of like started to turn, like I started to, uh, Mirror, you know, uh, bring home the bacon, bring home the bacon and kind of MC hammer all my goods and assets. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, no, I don't want an entourage. And, but also I've had to reckon with my inability to, I uh, might extremely passive aggressive pattern of asking for help and then rejecting it. Okay. So how would that manifest? Well, I'll tell you, Craig, how about, how <laughs> gotcha, about, please yeah. do enlighten me. Pardon me, Brian, <laughs> yeah. please tell me. How about, uh, <laughs> Uh, scheduling a one woman show called help me i'm dying and then postponing it because i almost died okay so that's yeah. how you you would term that uh the seeking help and then yeah it's refusing like it. like uh, hiring the wrong people okay. because i didn't vet them sure uh sleeping with the help ah uh shitting where i eat right um not trusting my instincts and that last one is the biggest takeaway for me mm-hmm. when i when my body is free of substances that are destructive to me yeah. Um I have such a clear and uh formidable connection to it intuitive instinct that always serves me right. Yeah. You know, it's always about compassion, um lightness, justice, creativity and joy. Mm-hmm. But but once I put those drugs in, I can't make good decisions. Right. Because I'm 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 so hopped up and jacked or dissociated or hypnotized or dickmatized or whatever matized <laughs> that that I'm like I just want to people please or I just want to please myself and shut everybody out yeah. or I don't want to face facts and own up to what I've done or right. what I'm about to do and it it all becomes this bizarre mind game shit storm drivel mess drama. Yeah, it's like shoots and ladders over yeah. and over. And it's awful and I I, I recently put a lot of people through hell, um, you know, and, um, but I do, but, and the thing, you know, reckoning with it publicly is that I really feel the need to keep it private. Uh-huh. Right. And it, I know it's like it, it, another like passive aggressive, like narcissistic, um, no, not necessarily. You don't think so? No. You mean talking about it like right, this? Yeah. No, I don't think so whatsoever. You know, it's okay to talk about things in a very vague and general nature because yeah. you're talking about the actual subjects yeah of or rather the contents of the conversation you don't have to say who was talking yeah because i the one thing that i'm really uh that i find distasteful um and that i'm certainly i've been guilty of i've tried i try my best always and i'm not you know i I, i'm very now i'm very hyper self-conscious of this ability to like be um to appear like play the victim you know what i mean and i don't i really don't want to do that but um i have to be hyper vigilant about um respecting people's privacy yeah not um being intentionally malicious because that's not my nature naturally yeah um but um i have to be really really forceful and determined and disciplined in drawing boundaries as for particular relationships as they apply to those relationships and not make any grand frothy emotional pronouncements wholesale you know where i reject like, things or, wholesale where like rigid rules that apply rigid to rule, everything right. across the board no because i take everything as it comes and unfortunately i don't nip things in the bud when it's appropriate i allow it to fester and snowball and then it just blows up into a big shitstorm. i would say that's fairly a common it is a malady you know yeah, yeah, yeah. totally and you know it, these, these things happen all the time because and i have to realize like i became a small business overnight sure yeah you know i have i own a small business i own an llc and um you know i uh i have to watch out for my my business the preservation of my business and my money and i have to stick to ethical standards of business conduct that perhaps other people don't share but it's my 
responsibility to when I engage with other people in in symbiotic business relationships, let's define the parameters right up front yeah. and then decide if this is going to be a profitable business scenario for both of us. Because too often the impulse is to not, oh, we'll deal with that later because it's too right, icky right. and I don't want to. Exactly. Then, yeah. Exactly. And like, or, or, you know, like you know, this happens with roommates, it happens with relationships, this happens with, and especially if you're the type of person who wants to like, um, have it all where it's like, okay, I'll, I want my boyfriend to be also my business partner. I want my husband or wife to, um, we want to be a team. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that gets messy real fucking quick. It does. Yeah. And I remember the first manager I had, oh, sorry, the first booking agent I had sp- said to me, uh, very clearly, don't worry about, you know, if you outgrow me, just tell me and, and you can move on. And that happened. And guess what? He did not take that very well. And, you (laughs) know, and I had to hold him to that, but I did not yet have the balls to say, hey, remember that thing you said? Right. Why don't we start practicing what we preach and let me go gently and compassionately and with justice in mind? Yeah, yeah. You know, but listen, the business world is fraught with horrible, horrible situations gone awry. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I, you know, it's all a learning curve and sometimes it's just a... They're just facing up to really difficult decisions. I have a, you know, in terms of business and employers and employees relationships, I have a track record of having really horrible bosses uh-huh. that I've, of, um, you know, who have kind of like, you know, working either for corporations or working for private owners. Yeah. And, you know, I have not learned from the best. Uh-huh, sure. So having to make your own rules and forge ahead in the business world is something that is very challenging and it's an ongoing process and there's not a lot of great advice out there for it. Right. That's true. You know, especially, especially when your your learning curve is so short because overnight, yeah, you you have to be your own boss, your own this, your own that, and and with the drag race stardom, we're really saddled with a lot of tough decisions every single day about how to manage our business, right? And um, nobody knows what they're doing. That's the true fact. <laughs> yeah, nobody no, knows. True. Nobody knows what we're doing. Everybody's out to catch a piece. You know, yeah, yeah. Everybody's out to catch a piece. Everybody wants to be a promoter. Everybody wants to be a wig stylist. Everybody wants to be in on the action sure yeah yeah. and they want they want to get in on the ground floor and then everybody feels betrayed or double crossed or or, or they is, expect something that is yeah. not is a fantasy right and then they get mad at you because you didn't provide them right. with that full-on fantasy yeah. right and the thing is that like what i've had to realize is i've i've always bristled at the um unironic uh like uh, assumptions assumptions or like saying like my brand is this my brand is that i've always kind of like rejected that um that language because it just always seems so corny sure um but you know i've i've uh i've come i've butted heads with some people um in the drag world just because i'm a wild bitch (laughs) you know i'm and that's what that's what drag has always meant to me like drag was never that serious in terms of the technical performance of entertainment it's like rigid yeah it's like this is not the boston philharmonic yeah right you know there's no it like you know drag time is real and and there are divas and we're you know it's trying to I feel like a lot of times uh, people are trying to make drag into something way more big than it is performance wise. Uh-huh. And, um, and there's some, there's a lot of tension there. Like I, um, you know, I remember I was like fired from a gig for being a wild out of control drug 
drug crazed bitch. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's the consequence of, of being who I am. Sure. And I, it's funny when I remember that night and later I was fired from the show a uh, very unceremoniously or not, you know what? I was fired. It was totally fair and square. Yeah. And, um, and I realized that I was like, Oh shit, you know, I have been using these substances to cope with this unmanageable tour schedule that I have myself encouraged. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. But when I, when I saw the promoters later that night, I was like, thank you so much for firing me. <laughs> yeah. I literally said those words. I was like, thank you so much for firing me. Now I can just take the rest of this time off. And they're like, what the fuck is wrong with this bitch? Right. Right. Well, but I'm again, nuts, you're in a you situation know. where you yeah. you don't want to say no to these gigs because for so long it was hard to get major gigs not that it was hard to get no gigs no for it you. was no it was hard to, i mean for the longest time there were no gigs like, that's what i mean yeah i mean yeah. there was so, nothing so if someone says well you're gonna do 35 of these at x dollar a night yeah. yes thank you okay whatever yeah. sure yes absolutely yes, yes. you yeah. know absolutely and it was uh you just go you just do the gigs and then i so i realized i was like okay um you know what is the difference between three hundred thousand and four hundred thousand dollars what's a hundred thousand don't you know that what are you a goddamn mathematician now craig but it was like you know there i was like i have a calculator ladies and gentlemen you can't see that so anyway anyway for the listeners at home there's a ti-82 here texas instruments graphing calculator um no but like it's i was like so am i doing this for the money yeah well the money didn't make me happy am i doing it for the fame and the love well that that didn't uh that ultimately wasn't satisfying Mm -hmm. what am i doing this for am i doing it to run myself into the ground am i doing it to be the best am i doing it to be the most beloved i had a uh, am i doing it to be included yeah um you know and it was like well no i mean none of these things really matter at the end of the day if you're not uh sane safe and happy right if you don't feel good nothing matters nothing matters nothing matters then you're just chasing the almighty dollar like every other capitalist pig in america right i'm a socialist mm-hmm. like i'm a socialist you know i don't i want everybody to be able to eat every sure. single fucking person in america should have access to food water shelter and clothing yeah point blank cut and dry yeah bottom line right you know sometimes i've had to push back or pull away from certain relationships that are just motivated by straight up greed mm-hmm. in the service of oh it's a sisterhood well you know <laughs> that doesn't really jive with me because yeah. uh, i have longevity in mind not, yeah. not not longevity of the sisterhood or the franchise of drag race but longevity of performance entertainment as it relates to drag yeah and um you know it just seems like this big bubble and it's uh everybody's trying to milk it for all it's worth um at the expense of the quality of it and now granted i can't speak for great quality on stage because i'm a fucking mess but it's also just a really difficult thing to reckon with um with the past as it relates i mean because now I'm, I'm still very much it's all fresh all the the breaking of you know the taking a break is something that's very foreign to me but i love drag because i love I love it as an underground subcultural expression of uh, queer outcast identities. I love it yeah. as a, a, a countercultural sporting event. Yeah. But to me, it was always about um, the thing that I don't like now is that it's, it just seems to be about the surface. And it's like when all you have is people arguing about who did the, who did this eyebrow shape first and you know, who, who did this first. I was like, this is not what drag is about. Right. You know, drag is a vaudevillian theatrical performance that is part and parcel of the queer underground community. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's drag in America. And like, you know, when it's just about like, so like, which makeup company do you think has the best like luminescent eyeshadow? Yeah, like yeah. which one? And then it, then it, there's all this call out culture and this outrage on social media about who did what and who did this and who's the original, you know, 
and um and who's a bad person and who's who's rude at their meet and greets and and who's not yeah. grateful for the opportunities and, sure. and and who's a real diva behind the scenes and who you know who stole this act and you know it's all a bunch of petty drama and nonsense that i, I you know i i i got a little bit in the middle of and um you know and that's never really been my thing um cuz i just appreciate i just love the um I don't know. The it's freedom not, of. I just love the 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 wildness of it. Yeah, you know, drag was always a wild and crazy thing. It was always confrontational. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was always. <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> drag for me was always controversial, confrontational, and um and uh, ephemeral. We're back. Here we are, and we wanted to talk a little bit about speaking from the heart. Speaking from the sincerity, the lost art form of open-hearted communication. Oh, yes. So, um, so one thing, a little tidbit, I'd like to share, and I hope I'm not uh, speaking out of shul. Um, <laughs> as a lot of listeners know, um, Drag Race is a reality TV program. Yeah. It's it is unscripted. Mm-hmm. There are no. Um, we do not have writers who we don't. We don't, we're not fed lines. We don't. Uh, we don't uh, go into the confessional rooms and and read from a script. Right. Um, we are asked questions. We're um, we are asked to comment, to explain, to elaborate about um, our intentions, our yeah. motivations, um, why we did and do what we do in 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 the context of the competition right in the workroom and the challenges um what we observe how we um uh how we interpret certain behaviors yada 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 mm-hmm. and um you know i'm i'm really proud of uh the way that i behaved myself on drag race especially on all stars too um and uh because I think that sincere communication is is not very easy for many people. Sure, absolutely. You know, and especially uh, especially online. Uh-huh. You know, um, on on forms of social media, uh, sincerity is uh, is difficult to identify because um, when someone is trying, it, when someone is using language that is meant to be encouraging and thoughtful and sincere, it's often um, called out as being disingenuous, mm-hmm. opportunistic, yeah. or plain out shamelessly Mm self-promoting right and a a good example of this is like when you see um like a a yoga person um post like a a nearly nude picture of their like sweaty hot body in a contorted pose and then the caption reads like change comes from within (laughs) you know what i mean yeah and it's like well what are you really selling here honey (laughs) sure right what's the reaction that you want to yeah yeah Yeah. are you just hawking them titties or are you trying to (laughs) you're trying to trade in vedic philosophy yeah and um you know that's all but that's really just the interpretation Mm -hmm. you know it comes down to what is the intention and what is the motivation and what is the desire there um now in america sex sells sure so it's it's often very complicated but in terms of speaking from the heart it's often um what i've observed is that it's often uh seen as not very cool mm-hmm. and uh and so it's discouraged right and a lot of communication is uh, related in an ironic or self-deprecating tone or voice yeah, yeah. and um the challenge of speaking from the heart on drag race these days is that we've seen it all before sure you know we've seen it all before we now it's like um a lot of the uh a lot of uh the behaviors on drag race are immediately they're they're, they're witnessed and simultaneously interpreted in, in um 
in relation to what has come before. Sure. You know, so, right. so for example, like when the cast images are presented for the first time, uh, when the promo rolls out, it's like, oh, that's the pearl. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, yeah. the Tatiana. Oh, that's right. the Tyra. Right. Oh, that's the Willem. Like mm-hmm. I was, um, I remember when the season seven um, images rolled out, I was lambasted online for being a Willem ripoff. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. because my look, because of the look and because of my kind of, um, uh, my cheeky nature, my cheeky nature, exactly. And my, um, my, uh, I, in the promo, I appeared to be very, um, uh, ironic, sarcastic, aloof, and kind of like shit disturby. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, of course, I also looked like a slut. <laughs> um, and I got to tell you, there's more room in the world for uh, more. <laughs> there's plenty of room for white blonde sluts out there. You know, <laughs> uh, the more the merrier. Um, but when I uh, I look back on um, you know I, I, on season seven, I had a lot of uh, moments where I felt that I didn't perform to my best. But the one thing that I'm particularly proud of, um, and I think speaks to the nature of Drag Race, is the 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 sort of speech. Um, that I gave at the finale um, or the last episode of um, All Stars 2 where mm-hmm. you kind of plead your case for why you should win. Yeah. You know, and I um, I admittedly am not a very, um, I'm not a ruthless competitor. Mm-hmm. That's not my nature. Um, You're more I, of a ruthless achiever, right? I'm a ruthless achiever um, when it comes to myself. Right. You know, I'm my own worst critic and I'm my own worst enema. <laughs> um, but uh you know, I, I, so in terms of, uh, you know, people want to call out behavior for being fake. Mm-hmm. And I think that fake is way too vague of a term, Sure, you know, because we're not able, to, I think that a lot of viewers are not able to clearly identify what kind of language is reverent, irreverent, sincere, ironic, opportunistic, yeah. um, or straight out exploitative. Right. You know, it's like, um, a lot of times people will call out uh, the the moments where a person will, is at the makeup station and they're, and they're sharing personal moments from their past. And it's kind of, some people view it as exploitative. Some people view it as opportunistic. Others view it as intentionally manipulative, trying right. to get the audience on your side. Uh-huh. You know, like, well, hey guys, my whole family was mowed down by a giant lawnmower. Can I win the crown? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, you know, of course the, the, the strings start swelling in the, in the soundtrack yeah. and then, oh, now we know it's for, this is for the time I'm supposed to cry right, right. or whatever. Um, but whereas, so, you know, you could look at it as a very sincere moment in the show. I always look at it as like, okay, we're getting to know them. We're getting to sure. know everyone's struggle. Right. And it all happens within a context in a 40, a context in a 43 minute of reality format. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's, we're not watching high drama. It's not Shakespeare. And it's also intended to provoke uh, and elicit emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Because like Rue has said many times, um, one of the thrusts of the program, one of its mission statements is the tenacity of the human spirit. Right. You know, and, um, it, drag race means many things to many people, but, um, my instincts on the show were to be real. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember walking in the um, workroom and having extreme anxiety about how my drag character would be perceived and received by the general public outside of a performance context. Yeah. You know, um, but what I was able to do and on the uh, at the end of All Stars Two was, I, I I remember being in the workroom. I didn't write anything down, mm-hmm. and for me, speaking from the heart, it has to be in the moment. It has to be informed by the present moment in terms of who I'm talking to, a, a clear and honest kind of um, consideration of what I'm feeling mm-hmm. and what motivates me, 
and um and kind of a sense of honesty but also lightness and i remember that um i just i wanted to keep it short and sweet yeah and i wanted to keep it real and i I mined emotion in a way that almost made me cry legitimately, yeah. but I plugged it up because I wanted to kind of go deep, but then just keep it light. Right. And I'm really, I, um, and speaking from the heart means being real. And, and nowadays I don't know that that is even really possible. Really? Yeah. You mean that moment of going in there and just laying it all out, Yeah. laying it all out because of course it's edited. I don't know. I, I've I've always been been able to maintain a level of realness, but you know, it, it's it's all subject to um, interpretation. Uh-huh. And you know, it's like you can be intentionally manipulating people into trying to love you, right? Um, or you can just be telling the truth. You know, it, at the end of the day, you don't really have much control over what is perceived and interpreted. Right. All you have is your gut, right? And I remember, you know, um, Ruth said, uh, "Bring the realness." Yeah, you know, like so, make it count say what you really feel, make it honest. And, and that's what I, I think I managed to do on most of the show. Um, and, uh, but I've resisted that in a lot of interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've, uh, I've avoided using my sincere voice only in the service of entertainment, not really, not really intentionally trying to obfuscate my real feelings or intentions, but, um, I'm a trickster, you know, Uh and I'm, um, I'm an entertainer and artist and I like, I like fucking with people. Sure. And also, do you think that it has to do with the context? It does. Because, you know, you're not at RuPaul's show. You're at an interview where the it doesn't mean as much. No, I mean, I'm in drag, too, you know. But I've I've struggled. You know, I had dinner last night with a friend um, that I met because of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a a really cool guy. He's a drummer for the band uh, Rancid, Brandon Steinekert. I met him and his um, girlfriend, and... uh, we became really fast friends in, in, in a way that is kind of, uh, I think you talked about is like, or Devin talked about, it's like a common in Hollywood. Uh-huh. You can be best friends right at once. But we, what we, we vibed right away. We had this really like um, deep and easy and effortless kind of connection. Sure. And he was like, and you know, he, I remember telling me, he's like, you know, don't, don't ever feel like you have to be on yeah. around us. Yeah, yeah. Cause we like you. Right. And that really stuck with me. Um, and you know, it is difficult, uh, to be a, a public figure or to be admired for a, for your personality or your perceived way of being. Right. Um, and with that comes almost like an inability to show your vulnerable side or any other side or any other side yeah. other than on high alert, high full tilt and entertainment mode. Right. And then you sort of, you lose track of, okay, well, who the hell is the real me? Yeah. Um, because my drag character is a Russian whore with an accent but I never really did it on the show. Right. You know? And, um, but that was my drag character. It was an, it's acting. Yeah. It's acting. Right. It's not, it's a character. Yeah. It has nothing to do with me. I chose that voice because in order to project an air of world weary, jaded confidence, mm-hmm. Russian seemed appropriate. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but now I'm having to, um, I'm getting the opportunity to explore the fact that regardless of the accent and without, you know, ditching the character, I can still, have an articulate and semi-coherent point of view um just naturally yeah exactly without but, trying to impress anybody like devin was saying yeah you know just be, just you, be yourself right because that's what we want yeah you know and then then the work is okay so i've got that all it's just about choice restraint and boundaries mm-hmm. you know yeah. um 
since sort of like taking a break from drag, I've um I've had uh the discipline to tune out the noise. Yeah. And, and this, define the noise a little well, bit. Well, the noise for me is social media. Okay. You know, I lived on social media. Mm -hmm. I'm Craig, I fucking lived on social media. <laughs> I was so active yeah. on social media. And I just, whatever, it was always very effortless. I never, ever, I, I, I was never felt any anxiety towards it. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'll just share everything that popped into my mind. I just shared. I had my, you know, the phone was almost glued to my hand. Yeah. I was, um, whenever I was walking around exploring cities, I would just Instagram the whole thing and find things that I thought were, were pretty or interesting or, or beautiful, share them up, throw up, you know, it was just a never ending stream of, of free content. Yeah. And, uh, it, it was almost as if my life was being surveilled by myself. Yeah. I was a willing participant in this surveillance style of life that blurred the boundaries between the professional and the personal in such a way that I had no idea who the fuck I was anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. And it was, I was monetizing every minute of my life in the service of some kind of nebulous professional goal that was not even clear to me. Right. You know, and it would just became way, way, way too much mm -hmm. to the point where I, w I, to the point where people would start following me because they'd be like, Oh, we saw that you snapped this or we saw that you Instagram this. So we just came there. And then, oh, and then yeah, I would, yeah, yeah. and then that's not, I mean, that's just the nature of, of having fans or whatever, sure, yeah, yeah. you know, they're like, Oh, we saw that you're out. So we came out and now we want to be your friend. And I was like, yikes. Oh shit. Okay. Uh, well, I, you know, I don't really want that. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it was, it was so strange because I kind of just want lunch by I myself. Kinda, yeah, yeah. I kind of just want to like hang right. and chill, but it's, 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 it gets into this disingenuous kind of blurred passive aggressive little dance where you're like. I want to be seen, but don't watch me. You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. I, I want to put this content up, but you have to pay for it. Or, or I, I want, I want everything to be free, but I'm also whatever. You know, and I was like, okay, it's time for a total recalibration of of how I choose to be a person, how I choose to um, approach a professional life, and how I choose to edit mm -hmm. all of these features of my life experience in such a way that I can achieve some sense of normalcy after. Um, being granted this gift, which also is a, something of a curse. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you know, you hear this all the time. It's like, well, honey, if you don't want to take a picture of me, why'd you go on reality TV? <laughs> and I had, I was at Mickey's once a bar in West Hollywood. Um, I had a, I engaged willingly in a 20 minute futile exercise in explaining myself to a drunk person oh. because I had a sunburn and didn't want to take a picture. Yeah. The, it was the usual thing. It was like, well, I thought you were the nice one. Ugh. Like, wait a minute. You, you know what? I, I knew it. I, I knew you weren't as nice as I thought you were on TV. Uh -huh. It was a lot of uh, wasted breath yeah. expressing all these points actually quite coherently to this drunk person who then I'm sure woke up the next day with no recollection of the, <laughs> of the you know what I mean? It was like, right, right. It, it's just a, it's an exercise in futility. And it, but on the other hand, it's also, it's also funny because it's like, uh, you know, I'm saying I want to be famous, but don't, but get away. Like, uh -huh. I, I really want help, but don't touch me. I yeah. really want to be included, but get the, you know, but uh, I won't show up. You know, it's, it's such a, it's such a big learning curve. I think, um, but what I've what I've discovered is that it's totally okay to say no. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's more than okay to say no. But you know, you have to have the balls to stick to your guns in the moment and say and to 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 say no. Um, but thank you. Right. And 
whether or not they're going to go into some rant about some how you're rant. not. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and what I've observed when I've, when I've, um, when I've looked at the comments, sometimes I'll, I'll see that there's a lot of infighting, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the girls from, uh, or I'm one of the performers from the show that happens to enjoy a pretty large fan base. And I, you know, and it'll, every once in a while it comes to my attention that there's like infighting within the fandom or whatever. Yeah. It's a lot of foolishness, but you know, it's like, no, don't call her Brian or call her Katya or don't, she doesn't like mom or that. And then you got like these kids just squabbling over trivial bullshit on Twitter. And it's like, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. At the end of the day, it's like, you know, I think it's just, you have to realize that you do what you do. A lot of it's falling on deaf ears and people, People want out of you what they want out of you. And sometimes you just can't control anything. Right. And sometimes you can't give them what they want. Right. You know, and, and I, I always go back, you know, like, especially with the dealing with this stuff, I always try to go back to the wisdom that Rue imparts so freely and generously that, you know, you want a career in Hollywood, how much rejection and humiliation can you, can you stand, <laughs> you know? And, and I yeah. really, a lot of the thing is I really don't like rejection, right. which is why I've, 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 I've worked so hard and been so stubborn about creating my own projects. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I don't, um, I went on an audition once and I, I remember, um, I, it was for a waiter at a, at a restaurant on some, on a, on a hit show. And they were like, I was so terrified. I was nervous as hell. Yeah. And, um, also on drugs by the way, but, um, (laughs) that didn't help. But, uh, you know, he's like, you know, you can go more gay with it. Just real fag out. Oh. And I was like, yeah, I just want to leave. And so I just tried it. It felt, I mean, I was there for like three seconds and I'm like, all right, thank you. Bye. Right. You know? Yeah. And, um, and, and then, and then the next audition I went on, they were like, I just poured, I was just, I was just me. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got it, you know? Well, I got, <laughs> well, I got, oh shit. Sorry about the feet on the couch. Oh, that's okay. so that's so okay. I'll just bleach it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, and it's, uh, it's just the, you know, putting yourself out there is always, it's always like a double-edged sword because our, you know, as performers, we're so sensitive, we're so narcissistic and we're so stubborn. And then we're, you know, oh God, you know, I think everybody struggles with it. It's like, I want to just pour my heart out, but then I don't want to be available to any piece of feedback (laughs) about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's, but that's also a valid thing. Yeah. You know, why should you have to take No, I'm, yeah, I don't. And it's, yeah. I, and I think it's the, the, you know, kind of, uh, recoiling from the mess that I made where I just made myself so available to every piece of criticism and and everything. And and then I just like, I'm like, you know what? I don't have to make myself so available. I don't have to be oversaturated. I don't have to be so fraught with anxiety about is my career going to end if I don't do a gig every day? Yeah. Right. You know? And it's like, yeah, it just, the, the ability to say no has been, tremendous and you know i've had to cut some relationships not in it in you know and and only the way i knew how which is not very good Mm -hmm. um but it's all learning curve it's all learning curve or not i mean most people aren't that skilled at how to end a relationship it's not something that you get a a lesson in no like a school no you certainly don't and it's uh you know and for uh for sensitive folks and people who are queer bisexual transgender whatever we have a we're saddled with a lot more um uh mystery about uh-huh. how to how to have really like you know my father didn't know how to raise a gay kid sure but he did the best damn job he could yeah you know and um and my parents were extremely skillful in their sensitivity towards um my weirdness and my uh uh my sensitivity and my um my bizarre nature mm-hmm. um 
but you know, we all, it's like, we just have to, we got to choose our battles. Right. And sometimes we just, uh, I think, you know, Maria Bamford has the funniest bit about, um, she talks about some um, horrific scene about somebody leaving their pet in a hot car mm-hmm. and, and um in this like, uh, and she's like, you know, Sometimes, you know, they're like, we're all just doing the best we can. And sometimes it's just not very good. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I insist on being open and public about it because I know that I, from the feedback, I know that it helps people. Sure. And I, it, it, maybe it sounds um, naive or idealistic. I want to help people. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. I really do. I've always wanted to, but I, and, um, I've always, I want to talk to every single person in the goddamn earth. Well, doing it through a show is a much more efficient way than person by person. Person to person. Hey, listen, I've done the person to person, <laughs> and it's it's quite taxing, but it's also- Plus the gas. Uh, it's yeah. a lot of traveling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The mileage has wreaked havoc on my crow's feet. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really tough. Um, But I, that's why I know, going back, I was like, that's why I wanted to learn all these languages. Right. You know, I, I got, I was always wanting to learn. I started with French, and then I, and then Latin, and then- little bit of Spanish and Italian and then Russian and then a little bit German and then um, Japanese. And then like, I just, I want to be able to go anywhere and talk to anybody. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's like, uh, I'm always so fascinated by the thing that scares me the most. And I just, I, I love that about myself. Yeah. Well, that's the thing we were talking about before, right? Where if you're not uneasy a little bit about something, then maybe it's not as valuable yeah and it's also you know like that was that was that shakespeare's the or no it's not shakespeare the the cliche the unexamined life is not worth living and Mm -hmm. you know anything worth done anything worth doing is going to be difficult right you know um but uh yeah i think the biggest takeaway with like fear and anxiety is that you got it you got to realize this this disease of term this mental dysfunction of being terminally unique is the ultimate ruiner of self esteem and mental health. Yeah, nobody is unique. Yeah, N- no one. Right. Like that is just not. It's just a fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's been through it, going through it, or will go through it. Like if you've if you've dreamed of it, there are at least fifteen thousand people who have written the book about it. Right. So it's, romanticizing that kind of fear. Yeah, is it, it, uh, it, a common. It's a common oh, yeah. thing and it's a real, it's a real tough cross to bear. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's the ultimate uh, alienator um, from other people and from yourself is like, nobody knows my troubles. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows. I think of <laughs> Daphne Zuniga in um, Spaceballs. Oh she, yeah, yeah. Nobody knows the trouble I feel. <laughs> a Jewish princess, <laughs> you know, um, but everybody knows. Everybody knows. Yeah. Read a book, Mary. Yeah. Everybody knows, right. you know. Reading is fundamental, and I'm not talking about the uh, the drag queen uh, version of shade throwing. Yeah, I'm talking about the actual reading of books. Like, I remember I've never related more to or looked up to a person and related to a, a, a such a biting observation and in um, critical perception of reality than I did when I read uh, David Foster Wallace's book, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again, when he talks about a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I read a bunch of his books, and then I, um, and then he died. Right. And I, I cried my eyes out. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, the smartest man on earth decided it wasn't worth it. Fuck. <laughs> it was the most, it was the grimmest, most morose experience. Like, yeah. just, I was like, oh my well, but God. But also you could, one could say mentally ill. Yeah. So that, you know, definitely affected his decision-making. Yeah. And you know, he suffered from extreme performance anxiety when he would, uh, 
when he was like he would uh do like q and a's or or uh read uh, book reads at like yeah. talks at like a, a uh what do you call it like a book tour yeah um crippled okay with anxiety right. and um i heard a story that he uh, once his like agent or the pro- the the book promoter promoter whatever you call it like forced him to go he like wanted to leave and they forced him to stay and do it yeah. and he was just like unraveling at the seams and it's like the fear of putting yourself out there for public scrutiny and review is a, is a thing that goes back thousands of years everybody hates it yeah it's really really tough um and it comes in waves too yeah even when i mean rather when you have a good handle on it it can still sneak up and bite you absolutely like life is not linear no it is not linear and the accumulation of facts and knowledge does not equal a better person necessarily i think mostly the betterment of yourself and self-improvement is a process of uncovering and uncluttering and unlearning rather than accumulating right and it's um it's getting you know getting back to it's like basically you want a benjamin button (laughs) (laughs) so that's easy right ladies and gentlemen just benjamin button it just Girl, just Benjamin Button yourself. You want to <laughs> die a baby. <laughs> there was a a, a a a restaurant on Calm Ave called Noodle Street. Back in Boston, this is a non sequitur yeah. and a tangent, very short. I went on Calm Ave and I went to BU for one year and there was a restaurant called Noodle Street. And the and uh, I'll never forget on the on the menu it said, uh, Grandma says yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a menu item or no, that no, no. Was just a it was statement. it was just a statement in, okay. in a, and i believe in like a a, a word a bubble font. a zippy yeah, font yeah, yeah. yeah a zippy um a cartoonish font and it was a, a an endorsement of the of the food sure grandmom loves it grandmom yeah, she says yes grandmom you know what she says yes <laughs> <laughs> so when you're struggling with some fear and anxiety just think yeah grandmom says just yes take it to noodle street you know <laughs> just drive it down to noodle Baby, street take it to noodle street yeah. and come in hot <laughs> We're coming in hot. Down on Noodle Street. Pull it out wet. Jam it back in dry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Craig. I don't really have much more to say. One little nugget of wisdom I would like to impart, um, just for my personal journey. Yes. Um, is that I uh in addition to hardcore narcotics, I am um currently detoxifying from an overuse of the internet super high the information superhighway. Mm-hmm. The internet. Yes. Um, as it's sometimes known. Yeah, as it is known. And uh, I have to tell you, the the clarification of my mind stuffs yes. is formidable and fabulous. You can feel the difference. Uh, you can you can taste the difference. <laughs> it's it's the true Pepsi challenge of the mind. And um, like I just mentioned, that uh, David Foster Wallace did also uh, talk about in a speech he delivered at a at a university uh, commencement uh, ceremony, the choice of what to fill your consciousness with is the critical one. That's true. It's, it's how you, what you choose to consume in terms of information. Yeah. That, you know, and also your friends too, is like, um, I'll never forget the Vinny, uh, my man Vinny in uh, rehab said, show me a man's friends and I'll tell you who he is. Oh, that's true. You know, well, people are, you can judge a person by the company they keep. Exactly. And, um, you know, Hey bub, why don't you look around if you're, uh, uh, surrounded with scumbag bullshit shit can motherfuckers there's a good old chance you're one of them that's true so take a good look around and start cutting them down take a look at yourself yeah uh so uh will that machete with impunity mm-hmm. and uh strike down ye uh no you know it just not really no kids don't don't do that, that, of course don't do yeah. keep the machetes uh in in the glove box that's right yeah where they're you know useful for any kind of uh 
Roadside Troubles. Roadside Troubles and Jungle Explorations. Mm-hmm. Which is the theme of next week's episode. <laughs> Stay tuned, but we will we will interview many jungle doctors. Jungle doctors who had to deal with some roadside troubles. <laughs> yeah. How did they diagnose? How did they treat it? And what were the results at the end? Uh, and here's a hint. It has a lot to do with turmeric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think I'm done. Are you uh, done? Yeah, I think I'm done. All right. Well, hey, well, happy trails to you, and we'll see you all next time. Yeah, see you next time. Same to you, babe. Bye. Good night. It's whimsically volatile.